Hey, this is uh, comedian Paul Mercurio, and you're listening to my buddy PF's tape recorder. He's the man. Hello there, I'm PF, and this is my tape recorder. Coming up, comedian Steve Byrne talks about why he wanted to go a little old school with his sitcom Sullivan and Sons on TBS. There's a lot of stand-up comedians that get development deals, that get, they go off and try to write their own sitcoms. And what they do is they, they incorporate their stand-up act into the television sitcom. And I think that they're just two completely different art forms. We'll hear more from Steve in just a few minutes. You're going to have to suffer through some of my stand-up unless you want to fast-forward through that. But first, as always, fake news. And now, fake news with me. Mitt Romney released new tax documents this past Friday showing he and his wife Anne received $13.7 million in investment income and paid more than $1.9 million in federal income taxes, or a 14.1% effective rate, in 2011. The documents, which fulfilled a campaign promise, also included a claim that Romney's personal federal income tax rate during the past 20 years had never been lower than 13.66%. Democrats, of course, were not satisfied with release, asking for his long-form tax returns. After dominating the fundraising race for much of the summer, Republican presidential candidate Mitt Romney started the fall campaign sprint with a little more than $50 million available to spend and a large loan to repay, campaign finance reports show. Romney raised $67 million in August and spent nearly as much according to his filings with the Federal Election Commission. The spending included staff bonuses that totaled more than $207,000. This guy hasn't won anything and he's handing out bonuses. And in more news from the Romney campaign, a campaign plane carrying Ann Romney had to make an emergency landing in Colorado after the cabin filled with smoke, the Romney campaign said. All is okay, thank goodness, Romney campaign spokesman Andrea Saul said on Twitter. An electrical fire turned out to be the cause, and most of the smoke was safely being blown up Ann Romney's ass. That's harsh, I know. Clint Eastwood's latest film, Trouble with the Curve, opened this past weekend, and so far the reviews have been tepid. Most film critics agree the movie will ironically play to many empty seats. A 22-year-old armed man who took a hostage at random in a Pittsburgh office building Friday surrendered peacefully after a six-hour standoff, police there said. The gunman, identified as Michael Thaxton, was handcuffed and taken away from the scene in a police van. Police tried for hours to convince him to surrender. They even played that cheap trick song. Finally, he did so, saying he was inspired to give up by the city's baseball team, the Pirates. Now, they had a good season this year, and um, I, I think they still might be able to uh, sneak in as the wild card. There seems to be an issue with Apple's mapping program, which replaced Google Maps on the new iPhone and in the new iOS 6 operating system for iPhones, iPads, and iTouches, and so forth. Apple has faced a chorus of complaints since iOS 6 was made available for download this past Wednesday, and the griping will likely grow louder as people get their hands on the new iPhone 5. A planned protest outside of Apple headquarters in California had to be canceled as demonstrators couldn't find the right building. And that's been Fake News with me. Okay, good news and bad news. The good news is there's no dumb bit this week. I mean, that gets good news for some people, I suppose. But, um, so you have to fast forward through that. But you still may have to hit that fast forward button because um, the reason I was so busy uh, and unable to uh, come up with a dumb bit is because I was working on a stand-up set for the Pro-Am night there at Go Bananas in Cincinnati. 
and uh, well, you're gonna have to suffer through it now. Uh, I recorded on my little portable digital recorder, so it sounds a little tinny. Apologies there, but um, I think it went pretty well. Uh, I would owe it all to a pretty good crowd because it's a lot of some of the same jokes you've heard before, either uh, here on fake news or when I uh, made you suffer through this before. But um, I think it went pretty well, and uh, you know, see what you think, and or fast forward to the Steve Byrne interview. Either way, here's uh, here's me. Uh, recorded Wednesday, September 19th at Go Bananas in Cincinnati. So, uh, 
many adults that seem to be a big problem now. And you've seen this on the news a lot. Yeah, this isn't really a problem before. But my wife has noticed that missing adults are never dressed well. <laughs> you never see what described as with wearing a sharp blue blazer with truck length as a mascot. <laughs> and a black room monocle was driving a little model Acura. <laughs> my wife's theory is that if you dress well enough, you'll never go missing. She shops a lot, and I try to help her out. Normally, I'm just like her caddy, basically. Uh, we were at Macy's, and her one shower, she was in a hurry, so I hold her purse, I hold the dress, and she says, I'm going to try this dress, and then I got to uh, run and find a bra. So I say, well, I'll go over to the clerk and, and say, you know, holding the purse and the dress, they'll say, hey, uh, where are the bras? <laughs> And that's just embarrassing, of course. But they've only been this final one. Uh, my youngest daughter, a voracious reader, started reading when she was in kindergarten. And that reminded me, when I was in first grade and learning to read, they thought it would be a great idea to teach us the alphabet by personifying the letters of the alphabet. So they make those characters out of them, and they made the confidence male, they made the bottle female. And of course, you know, a dude came up with this system, obviously. <laughs> Um, there's a pretty good idea to take out separation, uh, confidence male, vowel, female, until we got to the rule of what a vowel is, which is what, of course, A E I O U, and sometimes why? Sometimes why? What the hell is that? That had less of intolerance in 1972? Look, why is a confidence, but sometimes why feels like dressing like a vowel? These weird, very, very things, and just don't remember any other ones. Steve Byrne is a comedian from Pittsburgh, PA. Yeah, he was born in New Jersey, but grew up in Pittsburgh. And you can see him currently in the TBS sitcom Sullivan and Sons. Even though they have wrapped for the season, you can still catch the reruns, and they're back to work in January. He'll be touring through the fall and early winter months as well. Steve was kind enough to talk to us on PS Tape Recorder and even talked to me about something he doesn't really like to talk about anymore, but that I was really curious about and wanted to get into with him just a little bit. So here's our interview with Steve Byrne. All right, joining us on PF Tape Recorder, it's comedian Steve Burns. Steve, how you doing? Good, how you doing? Pretty good. It's uh, been a number of years since we spoke. Uh, of course, the big news in your life is you just completed uh, season one of Sullivan and Sons. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> it feels like uh, I ran a marathon and people were like, how does it feel? Are you excited or are you happy? You got renewed and it's just like, it, it's always like, now I know how marathon runners feel after they cross the finish line. Yeah. There's just that pure exhaustion that, that people feel, and that's how I feel right now. It's just like, oh, my God, it's over. It's great. And now you got to gear up and do it all over again. Yeah, we got a few months, and then we start back up in, uh, I believe we're going to get back to work in January, uh, okay. writing, writing the episodes, and then start filming, I think, sometime in March. Cool. The way I heard about your uh, show coming on the air, oddly, is because uh, I guess you're friendly with an old buddy of mine in Pittsburgh, Mike Travers. Oh, yeah, I know, Mike, yeah. Yeah. Mike just got... Engaged. Yes, he did. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I just saw them uh, a few weeks ago in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah, Mike's. Uh, we said his, uh, his song was. Some of his songs have been on the, the podcast here, and I don't know if you know, yeah. but uh, KDKA is. Uh, they made a video out of his "I Love You Pittsburgh" song. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, 
So how did Sullivan's Son come about? Uh, walk me back through this. Was it an idea you had, had pitched? Was it one of several ideas you had pitched? Uh, how did this all come about? It came about because uh, a few years ago I was working with... Uh, I'd been doing this tour with, called The Kim's of Comedy. Yes. With uh, Bobby Lee, who's on Animal Practice on NBC, and Ken Jung, who... Uh, who pump, pops out of trunks naked in a hangover yes, and right. uh, sets Asians back six and a half inches. He's a, he's a real doctor, so, by the way. What's that? He's a real doctor. He is a real doctor in real life. Yeah, we toured for a long time, yeah. and I remember he was always wrestling with the idea of, of you know, he just wanted to act. He, he didn't even enjoy stand-up as much as he enjoyed acting. And oh. that's why I knew him as their stand-up. And he said, you know, I just want to stop doing the medical stuff and, and concentrate more on, on going out and auditioning and acting. And, uh, and then he got, um, knocked up and knocked up is what really kind of got the ball rolling for him. Uh, so, okay. uh, from there on out, he got the hangover and we were working on a show together. It was kind of like a, like an entourage for nerds, uh, that would take place in Silicon Valley. And, um, we were working on it and then hangover came out and it blew up and Ken was just like, Sorry, but they, they offered me community, and oh. uh, I just can't do the show anymore. And I said, okay. So so um, I went back to Vince's production company, Vince Vaughn. He's the one who originally told me, hey, you should start something. You should write something for yourself. Create create a vehicle for your own, for, for you. And so I went ahead and wrote uh, Sullivan and & Son. And, um, you know, Vince kept looking over it and kept giving me notes and I kept retooling it. And then we met up with Rob Long who worked on Cheers for the last eight years, I believe that it was on. Um, and Rob and I got along right away and Rob kind of retooled my pilot, made it a thousand, maybe even a million times funnier and better. Mm. <laughs> so, uh, you know, along with Peter Billingsley, who works with Vince, uh, at Wild West, uh, the four of us kind of went out and pitched it and, and just, the minute we walked into TBS and the minute we walked out, we're just like, we'd love to work here. And we were fortunate enough to, to have had that happen. Did you have a uh, difficult time coming up with the premise? I was you know, why a bar as opposed to maybe uh, being a high school teacher or, uh, you know, or a stockbroker or something like that. Well, why settle on the bar? Was that something you just naturally kind of gravitated toward being a comedian and having been in a lot of bars over the years? Or <laughs> I guess subconsciously. Yeah. Maybe it was originally supposed to take place in a diner. Because I, uh, I, I've always loved traditional sitcoms. I, you know, in growing up, I, I always loved multicam, live studio audience. Those were shows that I really enjoyed. Nowadays, it's all these kind of clever single camera shows, and you go, "Oh, that was smart," but you never laugh at those those shows. And I think that's why they, they, the majority of them kind of suffer in the ratings. I, I, I like shows that make you laugh. Yeah. So we wanted to do that, and I set out to do one in a diner originally. It was going to take place in a diner. Because it just, how many times are you going to walk into the guy's living room and the couch is in the middle and, you know, it's just, they're all kind of the same set. Staircase so in the background. Let's spice it up and make it a diner. And then Rob said, you know, you should make it a bar. When we first met and I said, hey, you worked on Cheers. If you want to make it a bar, hell yeah, let's make it a bar. And that's how it became a bar. Uh-huh. And he made it a bar because it's so much easier to have people come in and out that door. You never know what's going to happen week to week. And, and for example, I think on our show, on our season this year, we had maybe four or five guest stars pop in and out. Cool. That's uh, yeah. That, that does seem like it make a lot more sense as far as uh, you know being able to you know bring people in and out and have kind of situations pop up. And of course, you have a you have a terrific cast. Jeez, uh, how'd you land all those folks? Oh God, we got so lucky with all of them. Um, 
you know, Dan Loria, for example, from the Wonder Years. Yep. The, the, the Wonder Years. Uh, Vince had just been city and saw Lombardi on Broadway and was just blown away at Dan's performance and said, you know, you got to, uh, you got to bring Dan in and meet with Dan. And the minute Dan walked in, we're all like, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, the job's yours if you want it. And he, he took on, he, he took it on. And I think one of the best compliments I've ever gotten on the show was from Dan Loya. You know, with him being such an established actor with all the plays that he's done and all the incredible experiences he's had, he said, uh, you know, Wonder Years was, was a lot of great material and it was a lot of, um, it, was, it was good memories that I had with that show, but this is the most fun I've ever had doing anything. And uh, he said that to us when we finished the last uh, episode of the season. I just thought, wow, that's, that's one of the nicest compliments I think we could have gotten. That is cool. And, uh, yeah, and but that, that's because of the chemistry of everybody. Oh, sure. Um, from Brian Doyle Murray, Christine Ebersole. We didn't know that they were on Saturday, Saturday Night Live together in the early 80s until, until we cast them both. Ah. So that was kind of a, a, another thing where the minute they saw each other on the set, they just lit up and they were just old friends again. And, and there they are always pairing off and kind of hanging out. And uh, Jody Long, you know, we tried to get a Korean woman to come in uh, that, that's some of the backlash I think you'll see from like the true Asian community where they complain that how come you don't have a Korean woman playing a Korean um, mom on this show and no. you have a Chinese Japanese woman playing it. Well, it's like when you have maybe three, two and a half to three weeks to cast the show and you're scouring Los Angeles and, and New York City to find a woman, you know, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to find the best person for the job at the end of the day. And, and we tried a few different uh, Korean actresses, but it, the ones we saw, it just it, it just never took off like we wanted it to. But when Jody came in, she just won the role. And the same thing with Vivian Bang. Vivian Bang, I wanted a girl that, that looked half Asian like myself, and she's full Korean. But in having a lot of friends that are mixed like myself, some brothers or sisters will take a dominant feature from a father and then others from a mother. So you do have brothers and sisters that are of Asian background and, and, and European background, for example, that, that don't even look like brother and sister because one looks more Asian than the other. So I thought, well, we'll, we'll get away with it because we did have a lot of Eurasian actresses come in, but none of them were as funny as uh, Vivian Bang. I mean, she just won that role. And I was against her at the beginning. I told her that at the, at the beginning of the season. I said, you know, I wasn't really sure about you, but, but you kept coming in and winning. And the last time she came in, I'm just like, we got to give it to her. I mean, she's, she's just so damn funny. Yeah, she's, uh, unfortunately, I've only seen the show in clips because I don't have cable anymore. But uh, I, was oh, watch, okay. I was able to watch a bunch of clips. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, everyone seems to have a, a really good chemistry. And she seems uh, a very, what's what I'm looking for, um, very energetic with her comedy. And very yeah, yeah, we, we lucked out. I mean, with everybody, even uh, Valerie Aslan, who plays the paramedic, she came in and it was one of those where as soon as she walked in the room, it's like, okay, that's it's her against everybody else now. And so everybody else we brought in, it was just like, well, whoever whoever the, the other group of girls is, it, it's against that girl. That's how we felt with her. And then, the, and then Ahmed Owen and Roy, I, I knew those guys as comedians way before the show came to fruition, and I wrote them in as types of guys. That's why I named them Roy, Owen, and Ahmed. <laughs> because I I wrote in types of guys I wanted on the show, never thinking in a million years I'd actually get to cast all three of them. I thought maybe I'll get one of them on the show, but but that's such a, a testament to how great of a partnership TBS has been. They 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 say hey, these are you guys. Let's uh, let's put them through the ringer, 
and these are the guys to beat, and these guys won the role. So it all it all worked out. So how much of the show draws from uh, kind of your your life and your experiences growing up, or is it just more generic? Uh, you know, it, it, in a bar with all these crazy characters focused. Um, well, I think the the pilot is definitely more along the lines of my life because the pilot, the foundation of the show is a guy that, that decides to give up the rat race and have more of a personal life as opposed to a professional life. And he wants to be at home with his friends and family. That's the basis of the show. So, so the pilot really was reflective of my life at the time because I was living out of a suitcase touring as a comedian 50 weeks a year and just had no personal life. Just all I cared about was doing stand-up at night, and I, I realized how unhappy I was. I, I never had a sense of where home was. Home was just any hotel with, like, a two-ounce bottle of shampoo uh, for me. So so when I wrote it, you know, Pittsburgh's always been my hometown, and I I wrote I'd love to move back to Pittsburgh and be with my friends and family, and that's, that's kind of how it started. But, but once yeah. you film the pilot and you go up from there, then it becomes the first two or three episodes is trying to figure out the characters, uh, you know, actually, the whole first season, you're trying to figure out what works for certain actresses or actors and yeah. what doesn't, what relationships are really funny and what doesn't work out. Um, I think after the third or fourth episode, we really kind of hit the ground running with our show. Uh, I think, you know, the pilot is just, you know, it, again, it's a foundation. You don't know exactly where you're headed. But uh, once we got into the episode, Who's Your Daddy, where Owens tries to find, figure out who his father is, I think that's when we really, really took off. I mean, the first three are great episodes. I love them all. But I think that's where you can see the difference. Well, I think you might, you might find too if you look back uh, once you're uh, you know uh, uh, even half a season in, you know you look back at the first episode and you see it through a different lens because then you can see how the characters are now and you can see that little beginning stage. Like it, Friends is a really good example of this. You go back and watch those first five six episodes; they're awful. But when you go back to that lens of how you know the characters after ten seasons, you're like, oh, I can see that starting to develop there, and then you look at it a completely different way. So. Yeah, that's the tough part about too when you when you have a, a show come out and it's being reviewed and some reviewers were really harsh and some some reviewers were really glowing. So I think we got a mixed bag. But it's always the ones that you think, boy, you guys have done this for a while. You think you'd know better than to yeah than to just come out of the gate so harsh and and be so dismissive when you when I'm sitting there and we've all got all ten episodes in the can and I'm thinking wait until. You know, the great thing, I think, for reviewers would would be to see the first episode and the last episode yeah. and then really review it because then you get to see how far you've come and, and, and what you've been developed. But I understand they, they've got deadlines, and that's not the way the business works. But, exactly. But I think our 10th our episode compared to our first episode is just uh, it's just miles and miles uh, in terms of the, of the quality and the, and the writing and, and the character development. Now, you were touring over the summer with uh, some folks from the show. Is that going to be the case in Minneapolis, uh, or are you, are you just on your own? for? No, I'm going to be by myself in Minneapolis. Okay. Um, uh, you know, before the show had gotten picked up, I, I tried to do an hour every two years since I had my first one in 2008. So 2012, I was getting ready to do my third hour, and then this show got picked up. And um, I just kind of had to put it on the back burner. And now that we're done touring, I have another few months until we get back to production, so what it is is I basically get reacquainted with my old hour, and then I lose it again because then I have to get back to work. Ah. So at some point, I want to film this new hour uh, and get it out there on the airwaves because I'm really happy with it. It's definitely the best work I've done. Oh, cool. Now, I heard something weird last summer on when you were on Marin's show 
which well, I was totally mm-hmm. scratching my head going, and it, I know this is old news, and maybe you're, I know you're probably tired of talking about it, but it just seems so weird to me that an, another comedian accused you of being too much like him. And I thought, I wonder who this is. And when they said the name, when Marin said the name, I'm like, wait, what? How? Who got that? Who made that connection? <laughs> and, uh, of course, we're talking yeah. about Dane Cook. And uh, I just, that completely, and I wouldn't have brought it up except for the fact a couple months later on Greg Barron's podcast, he brought up a story about people used to come up to him and say, there's this guy named Dane Cook that's doing your act. So <laughs> I just thought it was a weird thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I, I think that, you know, when it happened, it happened. It was, you know, God, this has got to be, you know, eight years ago yeah, now. Yeah, it's a long time Six, ago. Seven or eight years ago. So to me, it's kind of old news, and I never wanted to discuss it, um, you know, because comedians knew about it. It, it kind of yeah. came became this known thing in the in the comedy world, and it was kind of uh, amusing to some comics. And to me, it wasn't amusing. To me, it was it was real and it was personal, oh, and yeah, it, it, yeah. It, it did bother me. And then I got over it, and I just tried to make the best career I could, and not let it affect me. Because you know, when when it's somebody that that is a, a, as big and as popular as he was at the time, you think, gee, this is kind of, this is kind of messed up. I, I hate the fact that this guy who's on top of the world thinks that I'm, I'm emulating him and, and, and trying to be a knockoff version of him, which I think nobody would want to do that yeah. in their right mind. So uh, so I kind of kept my mouth shut. I'd go to radio stations. They'd ask me to talk about it. I never would. And then when he went on Marin's podcast and, and discussed it, and I heard his interpretation, I just thought, poof. Well, he's got his truth, and I, I certainly have my truth, and I, now I feel is the right time for me to discuss it. So I went ahead and, and told it, and, um, and you know, to his credit, we did see each other at the Hollywood Improv a few weeks after that, and he approached me and uh, apologized, and as soon as he said he was sorry, it was just, it, it, it's like nothing had ever happened to me. I, I didn't care about it anymore, and I was just like, hey, let's just... Uh, water under the bridge let's just move on and we've seen each other a few times since then and uh you know i have nothing but high regard for him i, I think it was just something that that he was going through at the time i don't know what it was uh, i can't really speak for him but uh but the fact that he apologized what meant the world to me so so to me it's it's old news and i hope that uh people understand that uh it's it's not as big of a deal oh yeah yeah as, i just thought as, you know as someone as you know out to be uh as we kind of we like to peel back the onion a little bit on this show, and you know I think it's more comedy fans are listening. It, I just thought it was interesting, and as someone who's interviewed hundreds of comedians, and, and I interviewed you actually early on when I started writing for other papers, and, and now at, at the end here, uh, as they say on Car Talk, Bo Gus, <laughs> and I'm not a Dane Cook basher by the way. I mean he's 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 yeah. but it was just it just seemed like a very weird of all people to you know it's almost like it was a random he just randomly picked someone to say hey that guy's being like me. Um, yeah, you know, I I don't know. I mean, there's there's always going to be guys that think compared to one another, or you know, I mean, there's guys. There's, it, it's funny because I see like young guys where I see them trying to be like somebody, like Brian Regan, for example. It's like, oh, this guy listens to way too much Brian Regan, or yeah. you see a young kid, oh, that that kid listens to way too much Hedberg. I mean, you can just see it right off the, right out of the gates. But for me, I I just think that I don't know that there was any correlation on my end to his other than the fact that I was very much more physically animated when I was first starting off. Yeah. Um, but as the years have gone on, and especially after that experience happened, I thought it, it, it did make me question, well, what is it I'm trying to accomplish on stage? Even if this person thinks or if it doesn't, maybe I should do something to differentiate myself from everybody else. 
And that's when I started wearing a suit and tie on stage because I thought it was classic. Nobody else was doing it. Um, and I just wanted to get more into the written aspect of, uh, of jokes and, uh, and not being as animated and, and kind of distancing myself from, from even being associated with that. So when you're working on your stuff now, do you have much time to do it when the show is in production? Do you ever, like, maybe you're, you're in the middle of a scene or you're rehearsing and you, some separate idea comes up and you think, oh, you know what, maybe this kind of thing could be a nice joke uh, in in the stand-up act? Um, not you... really, because that, that's something I always try to stay away from, too, is that there's a lot of stand-up comedians that get, that get development deals, that, get, uh, that, that go off and try to write their own sitcoms. And what they do is they they incorporate their stand-up act into the television sitcom. Oh, okay. And I think that they're just two completely different art forms, so why, why try to meld the two or try to, try to mix the two? Like, Seinfeld did it great, you know, because something crazy would happen to him, and then you'd see him uh, interpret it on stage later on that night when he was doing a stand-up. And, and, and so it worked, because that, that, that's what a lot of comics were trying to do, but they were trying to do it with without showing the comedian on stage telling the joke. Instead, he's at home in the living room with his, with his family and, and kids, and it's just like, you, I don't know, to me, it, it, just, it just became too much. I, I'd rather just make the show the show and keep my stand-up my stand-up. There you go. It's like I just told my wife last night, let's let the cable company be the cable company and the phone company be the phone company. <laughs> exactly. The other yeah. one seems to can't <laughs> handle the other one's business, it, it, it seems. Well, uh, certainly enjoy the rest of your fall, uh, your, your sort of time off, because you're still doing some dates, and then uh, back, back to the grind in January. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for taking the time. I appreciate it. Stay TBS funny, and we'll have links to, you know, where people can watch it online and stuff and get caught up, and, uh, and hopefully we'll see you down here in Cincinnati sometime soon as well. Awesome. All right. I really appreciate it. Okay, Steve, thanks, thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Again to Steve Byrne for being on the podcast. You can catch Steve Byrne live throughout the rest of the fall and early winter months. His next set of dates is in Bloomington, Minnesota. That's suburban Minneapolis at the House of Comedy right there in the Mall of America. Uh, that is Thursday, October 4th, and he's there uh, through Saturday, October 6th. For more Steve Byrne dates, you can go to stevebyrnelive.com. As always, we will have links on the Podbean page to everything that is uh, related to this particular episode of PF's Tape Recorder. Also, you can watch uh, episodes of Steve Burns' sitcom, Sullivan and Son, at tbs.com, provided that you have cable. Now, some cable networks let you kind of skirt around that, like I think Lifetime does and Disney Channel does uh, sometimes. You can watch some of the their shows, full episodes online, and then others don't, and TBS is one of those ones that uh, don't. So find somebody with cable and uh, go over to their house and catch up on Sullivan and Son. Also wanted to mention that comedian Paul Morrissey has a new podcast. Paul has been on our football podcast, the No Huddle. He knows a lot about sports. And this new podcast he has kind of makes a sports discussion with entertainment discussion. It's really cool. I think you dig it. His first guest was Steve Maison, who was also on our show a couple of months back. So again, we will have links to that on the Podbean site. Uh, if you're listening to this some other way than through Podbean and it's not convenient for you, uh, to go to Podbean, just go to paulhasawebsite.com, and all of Paul's links will be there as well. And uh, Paul, by the way, is mixed up with people like David Feldman and Jimmy Dore and, and those folks. So uh, that's uh, that's where he's coming from. So I think you'll enjoy his new show. In the meantime, like us on Facebook. Follow me on Twitter at PF66. 
Uh, let me see. Music for PS Tape Recorder was composed by John Veropoulos, with a little help from me. It was performed by John Veropoulos, Doug O'Connor, with a little help from me. PS Tape Recorder logo designed by Dan Coble. Follow him at TigerDactyl, spelt just like it sounds, on Twitter. And I believe that is all the business we have for this week, other than to say so long and thanks for listening.